for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It's October, y'all, and firearms season for elk hunters. An incredible, magical time that can go from frustration to elation in a single moment. But for so many hunters hitting the hills, there is a plethora of questions out there. Are elk still rutting? Is calling still effective? What are the best times of the month to hunt? How do I find elk when rifle hunting in October? Guys and gals, it's that time. It's October. Let's talk elk hunting. Those topics along with our elk bro shout outs and questions from our elk bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, your host for your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas, and from Katy, Texas, one of the Venezuelan mafia himself. And he calls the leader of the Venezuelan there mafia. Go. Now we're talking. Gonzalez is in the house. And yeah. from Cimarron, New Mexico, the one and only WWJGD, what would Joe Gillia do in the house? Oh, <laughs> my Lord, man. <laughs> You're going to get me struck by lightning, bro. Okay, I'm just telling you, man. Don't be pulling that stuff. Hey, and Chav's not here tonight. Everybody, don't freak out. Chav's not here tonight. Chav's not here because Joe is in quarantine. Um, I've I just come down out of the mountains um, and... Uh, I'm with a lot of people from out of state that I don't know. They're not my brothers here. 
and we got a wedding coming up this weekend. And y'all, listen to this. One year ago, <laughs> one year ago, almost to this day, my brother Chav was diagnosed um, with stage four cancer. Ten months ago, we didn't think he was going to live. Ten months ago, we didn't think he was ever going to walk again. And this Amazing. Saturday, Leroy Chavez is going to walk his daughter down the aisle in this yard and see his daughter get married, man. And Ooh, uh, buddy, praise yeah. Jesus. Oh, man. That's answered That's, prayer, uh, Joe. Uh, Absolutely, it, it, and it's look, a testament of all the effort and everything you guys as a family have done for him, and, and uh, it's unbelievable and it, admirable for sure. I, and you don't hear this a lot out of me, but it is a testament of the power and the miracle of God, and I truly Absolutely. believe that. I have seen it, and uh, I, I won't go a whole lot into it. But I can just tell you, man, we've had a lot of conversations in the last year, and I've seen incredible things I never thought would happen. So you uh, betcha. So, so that's it's amazing what a little bit of oil from Texas will do. <laughs> oh yeah, man, absolutely. And we've yeah. got, uh, we've got. It's just going to be a small ceremony of close family here in that's our awesome. yard, and uh, but with people coming. You know, my wife, when I was coming out of the mountain, she said, you stop in Raton and get a COVID test. <laughs> so, so I am, I am on uh, house quarantine right now. And uh, so, uh, you're, you're with been roughed up, man. Not only in quarantine, we also got the rash going on, man. <laughs> Hell, I didn't bring that up, Joe. Oh, I was my Lord, man. I did. Yeah. I did. Well, throw a brother under the bus, yeah. man. So, <laughs> I had to. Come so, on, share so everybody. All right. So here's the deal. <laughs> so you heard there's a wedding in our yard. My niece, who is an incredible individual, no prima donna in this girl at all, man. She wanted it in the backyard with the mountains back there. You know, mm -hmm. the, the beautiful color of the, the trees and everything. So we decided we were going to go get a whole bunch of leaves that are turning color. And we were going to put them along the aisle for her to walk on. So we went up in the canyon and, <laughs> and me and the rest went up there and man i i tell you what man the, near the oak stands there was little small growths of oak coming out of the ground had the most beautiful turning red leaves i started picking those leaves and uh <laughs> <laughs> I started picking those leaves, and I made the most incredible bouquet. I will show you photo. It is beautiful, right? So the next day, next day we're at the restaurant, me and Loretta, and all of a sudden I looked down, something itching on my wrist, and I looked down, I got these blisters on my arm, and I looked at my other arm, and uh, all right, I can find elk, y'all. <laughs> I damn sure can. I'm a testament to that. But but I could not tell you what poison ivy looks like. <laughs> <laughs> or oak or sumac or any of the other poisons i can oh, tell sorry, you now Joe. bro i am <laughs> i am plum from my ankles because i wore shorts that i was walking in that stuff man <laughs> wore shorts so my arms and my legs i am friggin blistered right now man no, i'm sorry to throw you under the bus bro but you know i mean i told you you're gonna have to keep me a little bit on leash tonight you know just uh, cause, cause, you know. And, and what i want everybody to know out there is our man even stricken with this horrible uh, rash rash all over him it did not i mean did not keep him out of the elk woods joe uh, i mean 60 uh, bulls later 
They are still walking the earth up there. Yeah, and Absolutely, for those man. of us who've got an accent, not only in talking but also listening, that is not one six sixteen. It's actually <laughs> six zero six zero sixty. Hey, sixty I, bulls. <laughs> sixty bulls, man. And uh, when, you, when you talk five days, the amount of bulls that we stir up on that place—that's twelve bulls a day, Joe. Man. Oh yeah, easy. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Easy. I told you I passed yeah. geometry. I got regular math. Too. <laughs> <laughs> but you said you, know, you cheated. Yeah, you know, I did. <laughs> I did, but I, I, some of it stuck. <laughs> At the same time, for somebody to go, I want a mature bull of this kind of size, and I'm willing to go without if I don't Respect. find it. Well, you know what? Absolutely. you got to. Absolutely. Been there, done that. Yeah. How many years yeah. did I go? Not yeah. passing on. A lot of things, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. We're all we're so, all in different in different mindsets. Areas and, of our home. Hey, you right. know, and to thy own steps. self be yep. true, right? Absolutely, absolutely, man. There we go. Not so, about the harvest, about the hunt. You know, I've had times when we've when we've tagged out on the first day, and you're like, God, I wish we were hunting. You know, exactly. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, did you shoot so, much footage while you were out, Joe? You know, I did get one. I got one bull on that we brought into forty yards, man. That's and, awesome, uh, man. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Pretty but cool it's funny. Most of the time, you, 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 when you're in that mindset as a guide, you forget kind of that stuff. So for sure. Uh, hey guys, um, guess what? This is our ninetieth episode unbelievable <laughs> for for 98 episodes 89 episodes ago we were like huh <laughs> man it's old hat now joe yeah can you believe it huh crazy man so unbelievably uh, blessed over you know remember we were like oh we're in 25 u.s cities now we're in over six, we got listeners in over six thousand u.s cities and That's now we awesome. have get this you know people when we talk about our shout outs you know i always ask people you know uh is it something that that you like dislike and man almost 90 some percent people really enjoy our shout outs and sure uh i and proof to that is today's number one listening city hammered the listens and i i don't know if they like call people and say <laughs> they had an bros party man yeah we gotta listen we gotta party. listen they were like we're gonna be the top listening city so that's gonna be coming up in a few minutes but that's here's cool, what man. i want to talk about before we jump down there is we are 10 away from our 100th episode and listen y'all out there listeners guys that is going to be a milestone for us, and we want to do something special. And we're going to dedicate it to who, guys? Who are we going to dedicate this to, huh? A grinders. Absolutely. Out to the grinders, baby. Out to our grinders. And, and you're asking yourself, I can hear it in your head. You're going, but how? <laughs> so <laughs> here's how we're going to do that. Two of our listeners are going to be joining us on our 100th episode sharing oh, yeah. your elk hunting journey of 2020 whether you have punched your tag or you still have a hunt coming up yeah, uh, your preparation your yeah absolutely yeah yeah and, i mean you your journey whatever that journey has been we're going to talk about that whatever part of that we want you to join us uh and we're going to give you heck we're going we're to have a good time yeah, for sure it's going to be well uh maybe uh we'll have to unleash Luis a little bit maybe we'll Ooh. unleash gilbert just a little bit Not oh too yeah much, just a little bit of rope right yeah and, uh, so put me on a little choke chain so now we, we've said but how and i can hear it in their head can you guys hear it in their head right now it's like well, who will that be, right? <laughs> I can hear it, right? Uh -huh. well, you know, How'd you win? 
<laughs> you win a new car. No, that's not. <laughs> so here's what's going to happen, y'all. You, if you are interested in joining us on our 100th episode, you write into info at elkbros.com. That's I-N-F-O, like we always say, at elkbros.com. And tell us about your journey this year and why you would like to join us for our 100th episode. And then we will be selecting two grinders, and we're going to give some free gear to those others that write in as well. Not everybody, a certain number, those people yes. that really impress us, and we'll throw those names out there. And there's going to be a whole lot more on this later on. I don't want to use up all of our time because we got a lot to do tonight here. So uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. Oh, also, if you have a special topic you'd like us to discuss on 100th episode, we would love to hear it. Remember, Send all letters and topic suggestions to info at elkbros.com. All right, man. <laughs> that is ready. way cool, Joe. That's very a great I idea. Wait, Joe, it's going to be epic to have some guys that have never oh, really done this before. Guys or gals. Guys, guys or gals. That's right. We right. get to send it down to them and everything. That'll be that'll be straight up awesome. Guys, absolutely. You, you know what time it is. Shout time out, for the Elk Bros out, shout outs. Shout out. If you're new to our show, these are just shout outs to a few cities with the most listeners <clears> on <throat> our charts this week. And we're going to hit those grinders, giving us those incredible Apple reviews. Okay. We've got to do yeah. that. Um, Dusty Davis, man, Dusty. Uh, thank you for that incredible review. Alan Williams of Clinton, North Carolina. Jeff Bigelow. <clears throat> Jeff Bigelow out of Utah, Jake Ellis from Colorado, and we have um, Stuart from North Carolina. And and y'all, I've got to uh, on Stuarts. I, I got to read this to you. Uh, we don't. We're going to share a little bit. I don't cool. usually do this, but I wanted to hear this. Elk Bros, thank you so much for your wisdom and guidance that you have imparted to me through this podcast, spurred by challenging life events. I made a decision to pursue my dream of chasing after elk with my bow. Upon that decision, I buckled down and listened to every podcast and read everything I possibly could to better prepare myself for the elk woods out west. I would listen to you guys while rucking with a weighted pack and soaked up every minute of it. Long story short, I made the solo drive out west from North Carolina this September 2020 and was able to come back home with elk meat in my cooler. All solo DIY OTC archery on public land. I could not have done it without the help of you guys. Wow, dude. You are dedicated to helping others become more successful. I honestly cannot thank you guys enough. Continue the great work. God bless, Stuart. My respects, man. That's man, hardcore. I told yourself right yeah. there, man. Unbelievable. Congrats, awesome? Stuart. Stuart, man. man. That's pretty cool. Tip of the Loaded up, up my you. truck, Absolutely. and I'm headed out west. I headed bros. out west. Heck Unbelievable, yeah. I got man. That's a heck of a story. Bros on hey, look. Puts the smack down on some elk out He's a west. North Carolina boy. It's going to happen. Okay. That's what I'm telling oh, you. Yeah. And oh, boys yeah. from Here the hills, go. they can get yeah, it done, yeah, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> All right, guys. Now for our top listening city. Luis, rock and yes, roll. Sir. So today's top listening city was named after the lake that it surrounds and was the original home of the Sky Comish natives that gather berries on the lakeside and hunted for wild game. The big event for this city is the annual summer festival at the end of July, Aquafest. 
This three-day event includes a boat parade, carnival rides, a car show, circus, and an Ironman triathlon. Yep. Lake Stevens, Washington. Yeah. Lake Stevens, Washington. Yeah. In the house, man. <laughs> West Aquafest. Coast showing up all the time. Look, it's three days in July. I think it, it got canceled this year, something like the 26th, yeah. the 26th, 27th, 28th, right around that time in July, y'all. So, man, I tell you what, if they missed it this year, look, all y'all that want to go to Washington State, I would not miss that Aquafest because it's going to be bang up celebration next year. Hey, Joe, this magic beverage is actually make me read, uh, read a lot better. Man. No, Bo, you sounded <laughs> horrible. Bad, you just, you what? Think, <laughs> are you kidding me, dude? This it, is like, it just flew. It's just it, like people it, on the podcast are going to be, who's this, you know, American guy that came out of nowhere? Where's Louise at? <laughs> he's got something he's smoking too, Joe. He ain't just drinking. He's a miracle in his own mind, man. In his own mind. Okay. If you don't get a flat tire while on our our next top, while visiting on our next top listening town, just west of yeah. Portland, make sure you wave at a roadside attraction called Harvey the Rabbit. Now, listen to what I'm saying there. If you don't want to get a flat tire while visiting here, you had better wave at Harvey the Rabbit. Who the heck is Harvey the Rabbit? Mm-hmm. Harvey the Rabbit stands 26 feet in height and weighs 25,000 pounds. Legend has it that not waving at this particular fiberglass statue risks your chance of getting a flat tire. Even though the name of this top listening town is spelled like the Universal Hawaiian greeting, it is not pronounced the same by Oregon locals. So I'm going to try to – I don't know if I can say it like an Oregon local. I've tried, but I think it's more aloha, not aloha. Aloha. Aloha, Aloha, Oregon. Aloha, Oregon. Yeah, it seems like you need a little bit of this drink, man, to be able to pronounce all that stuff a little better. <laughs> man, I'm telling you, Joe, the West Coast just keeps popping up, man. Oh, you From know, Washington, help- Oregon, Colorado, I mean, Nevada, they just keep popping up. We need one of them Harvey the Rabbits around here, but I'm, I'm going to have to. <laughs> I gotta- <laughs> That's what Cimarron needs, but his big heart <laughs> standing out there. <laughs> Joe, this next city is known for its papermaking history and is an important location for the cranberry industry. Natives call the area Atagum, <laughs> which means two-sided rapids, two-sided rapids. One of the local attractions is to take the Glacial Lake Cranberries March Tour, which shows how cranberries have been raised and harvested in the area for over 145 years. 145. And in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. A hundred and forty-five years. Yeah, Man, they've been. I'd wag them. I mean, really, I'd wag them. Is that? I'd a, I, you know, bro. When I saw that. I'd I was like, I was waiting for I'd, you, man. I was like, what I'd wag them. I'd wag them. I mean, two-sided rap words, Joe. Big hey. words and big equations. I got them right. <laughs> <laughs> Wisconsin. Wisconsin Rapids, y'all. Thanks for listening. We all, man, we love having all y'all listeners over there. You betcha. All right, so hear me out. Did you like parks? Because if you do, this city southeast of Phoenix is plum loaded with parks. There's the Desert Breeze Park with vintage train rides or Veterans Oasis Park with wetland and a Sonoran Desert landscape. 
nicknamed the Silicon Desert because of the presence of the computer chip manufacturer Intel. This top listening city was named after Dr. Alexander John Chandler, the first veterinary surgeon in Arizona Territory. It's also noted for, now get this, its annual Ostrich Festival. Ostrich Chandler, Festival. Arizona. Chandler. Ostrich Festival. <laughs> Man, they must raise a bunch of ostrich in music. Yeah. Ostrich Festival. Festival. I don't know what that would entail. And and I guarantee oh. you, old. I, I did you get the pun ostrich. intended there? I don't know that that what yeah. would entail. Yeah, I got you. An got ostrich you. festival entail, boo. You know, no oh, Yeah, but <laughs> on, I man. guarantee you, old Doctor Chandler there, that first veterinary surgeon. I guarantee he worked on a lot of folks. <laughs> oh, absolutely, man! Not just animals, man. Oh yeah. So, uh, and look, you know, ostrich is good. You know, I ate it when I was in South Africa. I was like, I ain't eating no ostrich. Till I took a bite of it, and I was like, "Damn, give me some more of that ostrich. That was good." So it was. Can't real be taking good. Gilbert to the zoo anymore, man. He's like, mm, man, I, my, I get slobbering looking at everything at the zoo. <laughs> Up next, our top listening location is actually the largest suburb of Spokane, Washington, and. For all those dads out there, it's these folks here that are responsible for all those incredible ties your kids kids have been giving you all these years. Yep, this area claims to be the birthplace of Father's Day. So uh, I want y'all to under I, I want you to listen to this because this was this was awesome to me. It was a young Sonora Dodd was her name. While listening to a Mother's Day sermon, Sonora was inspired to create a day to recognize great fathers like her dad, William Smart. So a Civil War veteran who raised Sonora and her five brothers after his wife died during childbirth. So think about that at the time this was, Civil War Mm. vet, right? So that kind of gives you an idea of the time and age Mm -hmm. of Sonora. Mm -hmm. For the next, not five years, not 10 years, not even 20 years. For the next 60 years, Sonora advocated for Father's Day to become a national holiday. And in 1966, President Lyndon B. Johnson signed a proclamation calling for the third Sunday in June to be recognized as Father's Day. Just six years later, President Richard Nixon made Father's Day because of Sonora's 60 years of dedication, a permanent holiday. Spokane wow. Valley, Washington. Yeah. Spokane Valley. <laughs> Thank you, Spokane. Spokane hey, Valley. now, quick yeah, question, Joe. Uh-huh. I'm just getting a little technical here. Uh, so her dad's name was William Smart. How come she was Sonora Dodd? Well, this, her Dodd was her name now. So when she was young, oh, she after was after she smart. after she got married, I got you. Right, I got you. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think she, she was, was at it for sixty years. Yeah. So it was probably <clears throat> Sonora Smart Dodd. You know, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Smart. She was smart, <laughs> wasn't she? Huh? You got to give it to her, huh? Joe, before we get into our content uh, Uh today, I'd like to give a shameless plug for our elk hunting academy again. Uh, It's it's one of the I've I've gone through it a bunch. It's one of the best I've ever seen. You guys that are learning how to elk hunt and 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 really learning how to call and have scenarios that you can set up in, there isn't any finer content out there in the country. Y'all go to our website at at uh, www.elkbros.com and check out our base camp uh elk hunting uh camp it is unbelievable i think everybody have you been looking at it gilbert huh i have have, absolutely and 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 listen 
you know, we're, we're growing here at Elk Bros. We're trying to grow all facets of us from social media on. You guys go to our Instagram page and hit us up. We love uh, talking back to our listeners and conversing with them. And, and look, we're growing our, our, uh, our uh, YouTube page as well. So y'all, y'all get on our YouTube page. We're going to, the Mafia and myself and Joe, we're going to start putting a whole lot more content on there. Not just the podcast, but we'll have some more hunting podcast, uh, hunting content that you guys can look at. And some of it's going to be hilarious too. So uh, y'all, y'all go to YouTube and check us out there. Uh, Elk Bros on our YouTube channel. Awesome, man. So you bet. it's that time. It's October, Halloween, trick or treat, right? And the uh, smoke sticks are in the hills, y'all. So Ooh, buddy, um, it is smoking hot too. Yeah. So l- let's talk about are. that. Oh man! And October is such a uh, um, how, how do you say that about that month, man? I mean, it is so bipolar, magical. Time, man. Yeah, it it can be yeah. frustrating. It can be magical. Yeah. It can be dead. It can be hot. And we're going to talk about those reasons why. And we've been getting a lot of questions about that. So we're going to throw a lot of these in here. Like like the first thing that people ask is, are elk still rutting in October? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, they are. Yeah, and maybe as strong as they ever will be. Well, so if if you go by guys, if you go by like like how it's supposed to be, um, I put that in quotation marks. You know, yeah. yeah, So generally, those herd bulls. I mean, everything. I mean, right now it's and and from that October first to about October eighth is violent, man. That's when everything gets broke off horns. Uh, elk get rut killed. I mean, it just goes crazy. And then right around the 8th to 11th, supposedly, um, those herd bulls start to split off. And I can tell you that um, that can happen earlier and can happen later for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. And and I, being on the ranch and uh, where I guide, I get a chance to really get a great take on elk this time of year. And you're going to go out there and you're going to see some cows without a herd bull all by themselves. And people are like, what the heck is going on there? And then you're going to see a group of cows with a small herd bull, uh, basically a satellite, right? Mm -hmm. Probably lesser than some of those satellites. And then you're going to see cows of they're going to have, uh, there'll be a herd of maybe your 20, 30 with a big herd bull, with a giant herd bull. So these are all different situations that are occurring at this time of year, depending on a lot of variables, like how many mature bulls are in the area, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, how many, what's the bull to cow ratio in a certain area? Because uh, if you got a low bull to cow ratio and there's not a lot of competition, and you don't and you have like just a few mature bulls well those cows are going to get bred pretty efficiently pretty early possibly if it's that low of numbers if it's larger numbers it's not going to be that efficient because there's not enough big herd bulls out there and so what you're going to have with that is you're going to have a second estrus that's going to real yeah that's going to really go off so guys i want you to know is is remember that the rut is not an overall area phenomenon. It is according to the variables of different, not just regions, but herds. Dog so, on. when you when you talk about variables, Joe, 
um, obviously the, the main variable there would be the equinox, right? And then if you were to kind of rank the, the additional variables after that, I mean, what are we talking about? We're talking temperature, moon phase, are we talking, uh, okay. so, you know. Uh, excellent air, question. Yeah. So yeah. let's do this. Let's say equinox. Elk okay. are going to rut in that time. Right. Uh, and, and no matter what, it, they are rutting. If you are not hearing rutting action, then you are not where you can hear it because mm -hmm. it is happening. That equinox right. is what controls that. If those animals yeah, just think not, about our hunt, just just think about our hunt this year, Joe. We weren't hearing anything. We dropped over 150 yards in another little boom. canyon, and it was going boom, boom. It up like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, yeah. right? I, I'm not able to tell you how many times I've been in elk screaming nuts, gone over the ridge to talk to a hunter and heard nothing all day, right? Exactly. So. Yeah. yeah, it means you're not there because, Luis, those elk have to breed and have those calves by a certain time of year or, yeah. or they're not going to be able to get big enough right. to survive. It's a survival elk. thing. It's a survival yeah, so, thing. It has yeah. to happen, man, right? Mm -hmm. So, but what occurs, you're, you hit an equinox. So let's hit the next question you said. Moon phase yeah, yeah. has nothing to do with it. Heat has right. nothing to do with it. Absolutely right. nothing. All it does is it make animals maybe a little bit more lethargic at a certain time of day, make them want to be in the trees earlier. You know, it happened to us, right, in this last rifle hunt, full moon, right? So mm -hmm. bulls are screaming all night, but they didn't start sometimes till 11 o'clock mm -hmm. because they waited. It was hot during the day. They waited till it cooled off. They got a full moon that can be out all night long. You know, they're just like a, a a bunch of guys at a party, man. They can be out yeah. all night long. The when the ladies cool. come out. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> what other factors then would it, would have, would impact when that rut is taking place then? So other than what, the equinox. What How many cows that, that come in? How many is cows bull to cow in? ratio and mm -hmm. also the number of mature bulls versus young bulls. So if if okay. if you have a, a solid group of mature bulls they're very efficient at breeding the cows, okay? And so they're going to breed most of those cows in that first pop, in that cycle. first estrus, mm -hmm. in that first cycle. Um, if you don't have a lot of mature bulls, and that's when you see one herd bull with 30 or 40 cows, right? When you see that herd bull with 30 or 40 cows, instead of groups of 15 you know, multiple Ten. bulls with groups of 15 and stuff, that shows you don't have a number of mature bulls. They're not able to kick, kick him off that. And they're going to have a hard time even lining themselves out because that bull, there is no way he can breed all of those cows. He's just not time. able to do it. A, a cow yeah. is bred by four to six bulls when she when she goes into estrus man and she's only in less for 24 hours right and yep. what happens is generally the older bulls come in i'm um, older bulls <laughs> the older cows come in first and then yeah. Yeah. younger ones, younger ones. And, and it's kind makes of like, sense so i guess i guess in a way what you're saying is that cows can can could potentially come into estrus uh -huh. a couple times during the same breeding season you bet so oh, they yeah. came to estrus, nothing happened, kind of, they come back to estrus again, so for a yep. second opportunity. So yes. nature is pretty much giving them a second chance. To Absolutely. Reproduce. And they can you come in you. a third time as well, man. Yep. And, and the hope is, yep. you know, the yeah. hope. Now, 
it, that's the other thing that affects herds later on is if if cows are breeding later like that, if there's multiple estruses, that means that there's going to be multiple drops of young. And so mm-hmm. what you have when that happens is it's easier for predators, predators. Mm-hmm. to then uh, take Predate. out its you know, if if they take out 10% of the calves every time a group drops, then mm-hmm. instead of them dropping all together and losing 10%, right, um, mm-hmm. it, it really hurts the amount of the herd. So yep. all of these dynamics happen, man. And, pretty cool. and it, it can happen from one area because there are some cows in an area that maybe that they were in a feed area, but not that many because the feed couldn't hold them. So if it has to do with that as well. If an area mm-hmm. can only feed so many head, other ones will move out of there. They're not going to starve themselves to death. They've got yeah. to get in a situation where they can uh, drop a healthy calf, right? So what happens is then sometimes a number, large number of those cows will end up in areas that have better feed, more feed for a larger group. So you're definitely there going to have more bulls to work that group there if the bulls are mm-hmm. available. So when you hear this, there's a lot of dynamics. So when we ask are elk rutting in October, think about this. Not all of them come in at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. So some of them are going to come in later after that first equinox, right around that October 1st time possibly. Or if they came in early, let's say they came in early September and weren't bred, now they're going to come in in that October. That's going to be right. that second phase. So if you were to if you were to actually give a window of what you think the beginning of potential rut is until the end of potential rut is, uh, it would be what? Are, what are we talking about here? Mid, so mid September to, to mid October. Prime time. Yeah, no, no, you. We talked yeah. prime yeah. time. I think prime time crazy elk rut is anywhere from right around beginning around that twelfth to fifteenth until about September. Mm-hmm. of September until right about the, the 8th to 11th of October. And, right. and it, it, it can be a shorter window. <laughs> it or can be a little bit extended broad, or it broader. can end up being a second estrus. Because what happens is those big bulls that, that waited in the wings all those times because they understand they're older. To survive that winter, they've got to get in, do their breeding, get out and recover and eat, 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 right? Okay. So uh, what happens is, and and this is what I saw, y'all. For you guys that are hunting rifle right now, here's what you're going to see. If you chase a bugle, if you're out, and and we're going to talk about the best times to hunt elk in October, but you're going to see that um, the, the big herd bulls have dropped off. Now, have they disappeared? Uh Uh-uh. No. What they've done is they've dropped off to the side. They're letting those small satellites come in, keep the cows herded together, together, and then if they come in estrus, then he'll go in. Bull comes in, displaces them out, takes the opportunity, and then leaves. So it's it's almost like some. Yeah, it's almost like tag team WWF, man. It it's, like, it's like, bro, I'm done for a while, man. You go in and fight yeah. for a while, right? So then that other guy comes in, tries to keep it together. He has, you know, he hasn't had to do all the work that that old bull has for those days. He gets off. He's eating, and but he's yeah. in the wings. He's already doing his eat phase, man. So when we and talk who knows, about, maybe the young guy that's left with them for a little bit gets an opportunity to sneak something in. 
He does. Well, <laughs> and again, but you got to remember, it's not him that determines it. It's the cow. It's the cow. It's the, the cow. cow that determines mm -hmm. it. So interesting. Um, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of when you start really looking at it, man. There's there's a lot going on there. So, cool. um, the other question was then, and this leads right into it: the best times to hunt elk in October. Grinders tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our Base Camp Training Camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands, as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure, using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And base camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S.com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing and achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. Gilbert, when would you say the best time to hunt elk in October is? Anytime. If you can get in the <laughs> woods, anytime. Look, I, that first week is so magical, Joe. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, from, from the 1st to the 11th, it's, uh, I'm telling you, I've been in the woods and it is un believable uh, i've had a smoke pole and a rifle but i'm gonna tell you right now it doesn't get any better uh it can actually be pretty hard because you got so many eyes on you, yeah you know yeah uh, you got all those eyes all those cows and everything and the the good thing is if you can get within 250 300 yards most every rifle that that's made to elk hunt with and you're proficient with it you're gonna you're gonna harvest your elk because you're gonna yeah. get close you know well, and, and when I have somebody that asks me the best time to hunt elk in October, the thing that I want to do is I want to quantify that and by, yeah, by saying, mm -hmm. yeah, what elk are you targeting, right? Yeah. Uh, are you hunting cows? Are you hunting mm -hmm. any bull? Are you hunting mature yeah. bulls? Are you hunting spike bulls? Because we got yeah. people with all the above, right? You bet. Yeah. So, you know, early on, and we already talked about this, if you're hunting cows early on in October, then just go follow those bugles, man. 
Exactly. You know, you follow those bugles. You're going to you're going to find some cows. And it's the same thing. It's always food, food, food. And I, I'm not able to tell you enough of that. The food will change from where they're at, especially mm-hmm. it's been dry all across the West. Right. Mm-hmm. So sometimes some of these areas that are a little higher up right now that are still green are getting some of that. Some of those areas in those river areas that are getting, that still have water in there are some of the best feed, especially if it goes and flattens out instead of having a real hard, if you're looking on a topo and you're looking at a river area that has steep elevation, you're not going to get a lot of that water spreading out. But if you Mm -hmm. go and you see water meandering and you start seeing those type of meanders that go real wide in flatter areas, that's going to be better grass, that moisture is going to spread better. Those are areas you want to look for those animals in there, Mm -hmm. right? Because they're going to, it's going to naturally get better. Yeah, those parks that are going to be closer to that big timber exit where they can get to the trees, um, those are going to be big places that got good grass and uh, and if it's got water nearby, that's even a bigger plus. I mean, yeah. Uh, so they're slaves to their bellies this time of year, Joe. Absolutely, and you know what? I'm pretty much at, consigned to the fact that you want to find elk, find the feet, right? Now, yeah. you know, there's a different time when bulls are bachelor up that they're doing some some things, but those cows have got to stay on. So, um, and, and a lot of times for the times we are hunting. Um, mm-hmm. and those cows are key. They're they're key for you to find the bulls. The bulls yep. are key for you to find the cows, right? So things yeah. like that. But if you're the best time to hunt elk in October, cows. Um, I would say if you've keyed in on the feed, you know where those feed are. Is just any time in October. I mean, yep. they're going to be in big groups. Yeah, and you know they got split off. And as they as those bulls start to peel off later on they're going to get into even bigger groups, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so yep. it can be feast and famine with the cows later on. But when you find them, there's going to be a bunch of them. Um, any bull, uh, I say any bull uh, I, is pretty much all of October because they're, they're, you're going to hear bugles just about any time in October. Mm-hmm. Now, are yeah, you going to hear all the time? times of the day. Yeah. All times of the day too, Joe. I've heard them bugle all day in October. Mm. Yeah, but all day. But I've heard them too, where they do like if there's a full moon, they yeah. bugle all through the night, and they're you. already on the ridge right at daylight. And mm-hmm. as soon as they get to their bedding area after going all night like that, they'll shut up at nine o'clock, and then they'll start up again yeah. maybe eleven, twelve noon, when a lot of people have given up and gone back to take a nap. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, your midday stuff, man, like Joe always preaches when we're archery hunting, your midday stuff when you got the full moon out, don't, you guys don't, don't discount that and go back, get you a nap, take you a nap in the woods and hang out and listen because they're going to show themselves eventually and let you know where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. And the only thing I would tell you though, is if it's, if it's really hot and you've been doing Mm -hmm. some midday stuff and you're not hearing anything, conserve your energy at that time and 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 use the cooler part of that day and figure out how those animals and where they're coming out and then they start to move again so Mm -hmm. uh like we've had real unseasonably hot days this october man today was just hot as could be right really oh man it's crazy wow yeah i'm outside in shorts man it's crazy 
Yeah, I saw you today in shorts. I was like, what in the world? You know, on well, there, September. There might on... be other reasons why these were in shorts, <laughs> yeah. too. Okay, okay, okay. I was leading into that. <laughs> you know. But well, what I about? Was, yeah, September the 9th, there was three inches of snow on the ground up there. Man. <laughs> what about was... mature bulls in October? I, for me, it, it's it's the beginning of October and the very end of October yeah, for mature buddy. bulls. Yeah. Yeah. Why the beginning? What's happening, man? Wide open, buddy. Like they're rutting like crazy, right? Oh, yeah. At the end of it, hopefully, they they might not have come out of their holes yet Mm -hmm. for recovery, but those guys are having to eat, man. Mm -hmm. So when they do split off, they're going to go someplace and disappear and recover. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's after they've quit shading the herd. Do you know what I mean by shading the herd? Yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. Absolutely. Please. Keep mirroring the herd. Yeah. No. Go ahead. Go ahead and finish explaining that concept because I don't know what shading is. So what I'm saying is, is there's a point where they drop off again because there's a chance for more estrus and cycles to come in, but they uh, don't want to keep working to tend the herd. Right. There's very just few. keeping an eye on. Them. Yeah. So they just they just shade, and man, as soon as one comes in, he's going to hear other bulls going off. Other bulls right, are going to yeah. go off, and or he's going to catch that scent, and he can move in and and take care Do of business. So my question was more around, I mean, I understand the difficulties that, you know, there may be when trying to get a mature bull, especially when he's in the middle of a herd because he's surrounded by all the eyes. And, and then is there an advantage uh, whenever that bull kind of goes out and sideways and sh- starts shading a herd just yeah, to recover, yeah, now he's there. not in the middle of the herd. Is it easier now to access that bull because he's yeah. not in? But it? what happens? He's, all right, he's so harder me, to find. He's yes, harder to find. He is, but he isn't. And mm. and I'll talk about where to find them because you just can't look the same way. You can't start chasing That's bugles right. because you when you chase the bugles, you're actually chasing the, the that smaller bull. Okay, Satellite if you bull. want that big mature bull. So what you've got to do at this time is wherever these guys are still with cows and rutting, you want to start checking those. Uh, I call them. Uh, ridge bottoms but they're not like when you have drainages and i'm going to talk about this in finding uh, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves but they are going to be off the side in areas where they can get good feed and they're just going Mm -hmm. to walk and feed and walk and feed where they can hear what's going on they're going to hear the bugling and they're going to shade and they'll be able to catch a scent and they'll know right is it fair to say they'll be more silent Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. They might not even say anything. Very right? fair to say yeah. that. Yeah. So, so that's, what I mean, that, that's what I mean. You're not chasing bugles, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But if a cow comes in heat, and I mean, it can set them off, right? We actually killed one of the largest bulls on, on the ranch on October 24th one year because of a cycle that came in. And this bull heard what was coming on, came in, got in the group. And, you know, you say there's a lot of eyes that hurts that, but remember, it's a rifle. So yeah. we're able to shoot mm. two, 300 yards. Yeah. And Very good point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I keep the one thinking thing you, of the bow mentality. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. with the rifle mentality, it's different. The eyes are still there, um, especially if you're moving through trees trying to get a shot. If it's mm-hmm. in the open, it's a whole lot easier on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and if you're in the last one would be spike bulls. 
and spike bulls, best time to hunt them in October is, I, I would say for spike bulls really is, again, I would probably say just about any time if you're calling or any time that the herd is split off and you can find the herd. I mean, yeah. spike bulls want to be a part of something. Keep They'll come into you screaming bugles. They will. They'll come into you cow calling uh, early on. They're about uh, as dumb as a bag of hammers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, quick question <laughs> here on on herd sizes, and or I guess I'm just kind of thinking in percentages, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if if you're on an average herd size, what percentage of cows, what percentage of mature bulls, and what percentage of spike bulls do you think? And I'm just thinking, okay, if I'm a hunter, you know, if I want to increase my chances of, you know, obviously cows is going to be the highest percentage but you know spike bulls and mature versus mature bulls percentage wise what's normally more normal like i don't know easiest to, to so see. but, but uh, so bigger think numbers about, so, so think about bull to cow ratio right so yeah. the 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 lower that number is the more competition there is so if there's one bull mm -hmm. if there's one bull to every two cows for example, and I know a place that's like that because I guide mm -hmm. on it. One bull to every two cows. That's, that is an incredible ratio. That's going to be a lot yeah. of bulls. It's going to be a lot of competition. It's going to be a lot of fighting. Correct. Okay, Oof. all of that. Now, you take that up to where in most places, if you have one bull to 25 cows, that's considered a good ratio. But that's giving okay. you an idea now, right? That's giving you an mm -hmm. idea. Of and when you say bull, you mean any bull. Any bull. Well, any bull. Right. Any bull. Right. I'm and then, and in, in, in again, so you're saying 1 to 25, that's a, still a good ratio. If if the area is holding elk, man. And, and what mm -hmm. you can do is you can look at the total herd number. Like, I looked at one unit in, uh, in, in Colorado that had 5,000 elk in that unit, right? Mm -hmm. So think 5,000 elk and think one to even 30 and start doing the math that's that's quite a few bulls in that area yeah. right so what do you reckon it's the ratio where we hunt i mm. i could not tell you right now bro i couldn't tell you uh, i i would say it's one bull to every uh uh 260 cows <laughs> yeah. that, that, I just least. wanted. I was gonna be like one in five hundred. <laughs> See y'all uh, later. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. Sorry, y'all, you know, man. We just yeah. <laughs> we're having a little fun with everybody. Yeah, Joe. You know, I've had some epic trips, and I have called some of the biggest bulls I've ever called in. In uh, you know, leading into your next little subject here. Uh, I've called some of the biggest bulls I've ever called in in October for some rifle hunters and for oh, yeah. some muzzleloader hunters that I've guided. And I'm telling you, man, and they they don't the big bulls don't say much. They no. won't hardly even say a word when they come in. But are they is calling effective? You better believe it. It's effective. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah, mm -hmm. especially you know. Uh, again, guys, lover before fighter. Yeah, you boy. know because there are guys I never made a around. bull sound. Yeah. I never made a bull sound. All cows. Yeah. All cow sounds. Yeah. And and that doesn't mean you can't use location bugles. Right. We use right. them all the time. But, yeah. you know, if you really want to get them to where you can see them, those cow calls really are effective in there. So, 
Uh, if you are, and, and I really, me, it, maybe it's just because I'm ingrained with how I work. I pretty much don't change my tactics in that time. You know, I'm still, because there's a time during September, I'm calling and there ain't nothing responding verbally, but they're coming in, right? Well, the same yep. thing happens later on afterwards, man. You bet. You know? You bet. So you just got to, you've got to, if you're going to call, um, don't, don't go out there with that attitude. Well, it, that you're just pissing in the wind. That's the only way I could say it, I guess, yeah, man. No, if you got to be invested, if you're going to call, be invested in your calling and give it time and pay attention and understand mm -hmm. that animals respond without giving you a verbal call back. Yeah. Right. Okay. That was one of the things I did learn, Joe, is a lot of those bulls, those bigger bulls that come in silent, they don't come in right away. They right. actually are real cautious about coming into an opening or we, and most of the time we were, uh, you know, on the edges of wood lines, looking into parks and they would come in real cautious, like almost like they had just appeared out of the ground because they yeah. came in so cautious. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, but they were definitely looking for where that cow is, you know. Well, and the, the beauty of it with the rifle is now your setup is just the opposite of what you did with archery, where you wanted a tight setup in archery where they couldn't see anything and you're yeah. not going to see them. Now you want to be where they just come to the edge of that park. You don't care. Yep. You mm -mm. drop them right there, right? You just got to exactly. see the bull, right? So, yeah, for the mad Canadian Steve Tucker, I don't know how many bulls I called him for that goon, but I'm telling you right now, I, I, it seemed like I could hit a call anywhere I took him and a big bull would come rolling up on him. I mean, absolutely. And, and it was all in October, you know. And let's say, guys, you're not getting something to come in with a call. It's still great to have in a situation where you have an elk moving, you need to stop them. And don't forget, elk have a fatal flaw. If you booger an elk and they start to run, as soon as they get right at that tree line, they're going to stop and they're going to turn and they're going to check. And if you can throw a cow call out there, they're going to run, they're going to stop, they're going to turn, and they have that fatal flaw. So I would say a call is a great opportunity maker in all sorts of ways. Okay. Yeah, both your, your bull and my bull this year did the exact same thing. Yeah. Yep. They got boogered and they ended up stopping, looking, mm -hmm. and died. Right. So yeah, and if I could have seen out of my peep, one would have done the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I got to get, look, man. I'm gonna tell y'all right now. Mm -hmm. When I drag that Matthews back, something's gonna die. But I'm telling you, it's like somebody shoved a patch <laughs> over my eyes. Like, what the the, we're what gonna call it the pirate boat. Yeah, man. I'm like, what is going on here, man? <laughs> so. Standing there looking at me, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Don't call that helium the pirate. Unbelievable. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I don't cow call, he don't stop. But he stopped 34 yards broadside, big as Dallas, big, just begging for it right here, big fella. And uh, yeah. But uh, Your side couldn't see through my people. Like, bro, quit looking through your peep. Use your eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He goes, well, you, I bet. He goes, I know Gilbert. He's gonna be working on that in camp. Can Heck he shoot yeah, through, without seeing through the peep? So yeah, Absolutely. did a lot of work on that. So let's sure. talk about the subject that I always. This is number one. How do I find elk, man? So we're talking about finding elk in October, and. People that have listened to us have heard us say in September, right, 
um, in September, you're using your senses, using your ears, using your eyes, using your nose, right? Ears, eyes, and nose. That's that's kind of how it goes for most people when they're hunting yep. in September. They're listening for some kind of response of some kind. They're trying to then see that animal, or if that's not working, if they catch a smell, they can work into that animal. That's how we like to think about that. Well, you're going to, when you go to October, you're changing from that to eyes and ears with eyes being first we're talking optics man we're talking mm-hmm. we're talking about being where you can look yes. for animals now and now and that even changes you're going in october from eyes and ears because you're listening for bugles and everything early on and stuff like that to eyes and eyes and eyes and ears okay yeah. mm-hmm. so it's man, it's just really looking for those animals, using those optics, getting in places. So even though calling can still be effective during rifle season, season, your best friend is going to be high vantage points where you can get coverage with optics and look and look and look. Look where these animals are. If you have to and you can't make a move, look at where they bed and then make a plan for where they're coming out because they're going to come out that way, right? So, so Joe, what And don't forget, you got to use your wind, man. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What prevents you from, okay, yeah, you're hunting with a rifle, but, I mean, right. if you can still get in close to the animal, using the same techniques as an archer would, mm-hmm. what prevents you from doing that? As I mean, you know, what's why not try to get in closer like you would with a bow? If, so you, know. you just don't you don't always have the same amount of drive in October. So when I'm talking about early October, yes, mm-hmm. I still hunt with a bow hunter mentality, and sometimes it puts me in a bad situation because it puts me in a tight situation. And mm-hmm. you'd be surprised some rifle hunters when they're zeroed in at 100, 200 yards, don't know what to do with 40 yards, man. It's like right. you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, first so, of all, they want to turn everything up on nine or twelve, and they can't find the animal. Can't find the animal. When right? you're talking about a drive, it's the drive from the elk to get closer to the calling, basically. So yeah. So early on in September, they've got that rut drive really happening. That's their main yeah. focus. Now that focus is changing a little bit in October. Early mm-hmm. on, you still have that in October. And then you're going to have it at times when animals come in. But in between that, you you have a lot of these animals now that are splitting off. They're yeah. getting into recovery, right? Now they're thinking about food. So You've got so they to, become not, less and less responsive to calls. No, not basically, necessarily towards less, the end. Not less, not necessarily less responsive. Where you're hunting them is in a different place too, because they're coming out in these big parks. So it's a lot harder to get real close to close. them uh, when you're out in the wide open. You know, uh, you can use the trees, but still, a lot of times when they're in these bigger parks, because they're I, feeding. You know, and I and I think it's, it's more different. about them sounding off Luis than us because they've got to kind of feel it so you might be able to hear that and it's going to be less and less as October goes um, there's going to be bugles in the morning because Mm -hmm. it's that cold and they feel it they're going to bugle and then you're not going to hear them anymore okay Mm -hmm. Um, so that drive for that part of it to be verbal is getting less and less start relying more on your visuals than any any talking at all absolutely and and finding that feed because they're going to be feeding up getting ready for the winter 
and being ready, being ready if something does pop off and a rut happens yeah. in your area. If that happens, man, you're you're in high cotton, Ooh, right? Yeah. So that's something to think about. But that's why I'm saying that in September you go from ears, eyes, and nose in that order, ears, eyes, and nose yeah. to eyes and ears. Now you know oh. you're you're listening, oh. but you won't really want to spot them to as October goes to eyes, 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 and ears, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it's really about <clears throat> it's really about now really being someplace where you can get coverage. The key is, yeah. especially this time of year, is being able to cover a large amount of ground because yeah. as bulls split off before they bachelor up, that once they bachelor up, they're easier to find, but as they split off, they're harder to find those single animals. So it's key for you to be at vantage points where you can see down into possibly two sides into different mm -hmm. fingers because mm -hmm. let me tell you where those those big bulls are feeding if you've ever looked at a drainage let's take a main drainage man that let's say you could probably drive a vehicle up that there could probably be a road in that drainage possibly a lot of times that drainage will flatten out it'll have good feed from side hills to side hills and it might have a creek running down it well that is a probably a main feed area at night for elk all right. Mm -hmm. um, and now I'm talking in areas that are hills. We're in Arizona where things are different. You know, yeah. um, uh, you talk about Mesa country, things change a little bit, but it, but there's still always elevations, right? And water. Yeah. So yeah. where you have those areas that are wide with grass is a, is a late feeding area. Now, if you have, when you have a main drainage, you always have what I call finger ridges that mm -hmm. go down into the main drainage mm -hmm. from hills down into it on each side, just the way they work. Now, in between those finger ridges are going to be smaller versions of that main drainage, bottoms with grass happening in there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, depending on whether that's a north side, south side, east, west, some areas are going to be greener and less dry than others. You mm -hmm. locate those. Those are areas where there's bedding on the side of the hill, and those bulls can bed. They don't have to move very far. They can get to feed, and they can get to water within a half mile. That's what those yep. bulls are looking for. They they need to conserve energy, man. And yep. uh, so instead of looking for them in the big main part, you check inside those fingers, those lateral yep. areas coming down. You know, Luis and, Luis and I uh, hunted mm -hmm. in the northeast part of New Mexico around. Funny, I've been I've been kind of thinking about that trip yeah, during the whole podcast. It's, it's all straight Mesa country, right mm -hmm. up around the Johnson's Mesa, uh, up there. And I'm telling you, that was that was the wildest elk hunt I've ever been on in my <laughs> life. We walked out, and you know, it was all glass, and uh, mm -hmm. we sit on these big these big ridge tops looking down right. into these fingers you're talking incredible about, you know, views and incredible views you can see for it felt like a hundred miles you could see in places and yep you know you're just looking down and glassing these bulls and then you make a plan uh you you would even glass all evening so you could make a plan the next morning on yeah, how to absolutely. come out and get on those bulls sure. or in the afternoon you would find them bedded and then you'd try to make a a stalk on them depending on the wind, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was really cool to hunt that way in some beautiful country. In those areas where that water 
comes off creates those drainages off yeah. that mesa country and you can sit up mm -hmm. on that mesa rim rock and man you can look right down into the all of those finger ridges and exactly what yeah. i'm talking about in the in between mm -hmm. them that gets shaded before anything else right so yeah. Yeah. and that's where you spot those bulls they pop out they're eating you know yeah pretty unassuming too i mean and and we were with a, a guide and he never i don't think did he call any no. louise i don't think he ever used to call only him. only to stop, to stop really weird making sounds to make him get up when they were bedded to try yeah, to yeah, for me yeah. to try to get a yeah. shot <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I remember yeah. that yeah for sure but yeah. one thing i would tell two guys is when i say you got to be someplace where you can cover large amount of ground make sure that it's not too large that it's large enough to effectively scan you don't want something that you can't tell what you're looking at man you're you're not going to be mm -hmm. looking down to the you know way down the way on the grand canyon you know what i mean you got to be able yeah. to effectively scan an area and all right so where do you look you want to look for food 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 areas um burns uh you want to look at river bottoms again not in steep flowing stuff, more where you have flatter things happening there that mm -hmm. so that moisture can spread out. Water sources are huge this time of year. I mean, we've got mm -hmm. fires ravaging the West, right? And it's so dry. Some of our best places were all dried up this year. So, yeah. you know, animals got to have water. So water sources are huge. And I told you the side finger ridge bottoms to main drainages. Um, ridges with broken canopies, any place that had, especially you guys, I'm thinking about you guys in Washington State, thinking about you guys mm -hmm. in Oregon, where you have logging, where you've had thinning. Uh, here in New Mexico, if it's weather torn, because we have in some places on sides of hills that'll get wind shears that just topple the pines, man. Believe and, me, I've had to step over them. Yeah, but when yeah. it topples those pines, it opens that canopy and you get more grass growing. And so... Those animals like to feed there. Or if there's snow on the ground, those southern slope, mm -hmm. when the snow flies, um, you know, any place where those animals can get to decent grass. And, again, that's when burns are sometimes huge because of the types of vegetation that grow might grow taller mm -hmm. where they can still get to food in some of those burns, okay? Yep. Um, you talked about the full moon. Yeah. yeah, I brought it up and just questioning whether or not that would have had an effect, right? So, so, so the effect really has to do with the timing, the timing of when the animals can come out and when the animals are going to go in. And if it's a full moon, you had better find those transition um, finger areas that I was just talking about or transitions from bedding to feed that you can possibly <laughs> Um, get a look at those animals and shoot them. Uh, if you're in that mesa country that Gilbert talks about and they have oak brush on the side, sometimes you can watch where they bed and you can make a plan how to get yeah. to them, right? Absolutely. So those types of things. Um, it's just that full moon is is just going to, it's going to shorten your amount of time that they come into open areas is pretty much what's going to happen. Well, and, I love uh, what you put here on this next part, Joe. These are huge things that our rifle hunters need to need to hear uh, about hunting at this time in october with their rifles yeah because guys we, we we always talk about um finding failure points yeah. and fixing those failure points and i just want to as a guide i'm going to tell you what i see as some of the most common mistakes to avoid and this this one is hard for a lot of people because especially man when you've been hunting you've been hunting hard but shots that are taken at last shooting light. 
can be a huge mistake. And you might be able to get your crosshairs on that animal. If you cannot distinguish and see the points on that animal, you shouldn't be taking that shot. And the reason I tell you that is it's it's hard enough with an arrow that's meant to hemorrhage and create blood. That There's a lot of times you shoot an animal two, 300 yards, and you're losing that daylight. And by the time you can get to where you took that shot, you've it's lost dark. daylight. Now you're trying to find blood in the dark. You're not sure of the exact, especially if you're alone, you don't have anybody to help you. It is a great, um, it is a great situation for disaster. Yeah. It really is to end up losing an animal. I've seen, you know, I've seen guys that have done that. And as a guide, there's a certain point in the evening where I call it, man, because uh, I don't want to lose an animal. I don't want to guess if where the shot hit. I want to be able to see it in my binos. I want to see if that animal goes down. I want to be able to find blood. So that's just something for you guys to consider. You know, you got to ask yourself, how much time do I have if I hit this animal to truly be able to so um, easy. locate and track? So yeah. easy to get caught up in the moment, Joe. It I is. Mean, sure I, I is. think about it. I think about it not only in the rifle side. I, I think about it mainly on the, on the, on the bow side, right? I mean, yeah. you're, and then you know, there's there's a lot of things that you don't think about when that animal pops up and you get an opportunity. You don't think about <laughs> the tracking. You don't think about the packing. Me. You don't think yeah. about all the work that takes place afterwards. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're just thinking about the moment of getting a shot and, yeah. and the animal that you're captivated with. So yeah, yeah, it's it's a hard one and definitely one that is something that we all need to work on. Yeah, it's something to think about. Is there a certain point? And ask, you know, this is, I just want you guys thinking about this and, and then telling yourself, is there a certain point in my hunt where all of a sudden that shot, beco shot becomes marginal? And that a lot of times has to do with distance, you know, no, as no well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the further away that animal is with fading light, the more marginal that becomes and more difficult in recovering that animal. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, we talk about this in archery all the time. You know, we talk yeah. about recovery being one of our goals. And as a, a rifle hunter, recovery is your goal. I mean, you shoot that animal so that you can recover it. So, yeah. again, that that's something that I want you to think about before you go out there. And when you get out there to a certain point, I mean, it says that, you know, we have a half hour after sunset, his legal shooting time. And you can take that to the last minute. But I tell you what, I've looked at animals at 200 yards yeah. in the last five minutes of shooting light. Hard. And I can't friggin' distinguish how many yeah. points that animal yeah. has. Yeah. No, we shouldn't be shooting. Right. Right. Okay. Joe, Joe, I know you don't have much to say about this other than um, I'm sure you like to tell clients where, where to actually shoot the elk uh, mm -hmm. with a rifle. Uh, mm -hmm. But shot plate, you know, we put a lot of onus on shot placement as archers. Um, do you have anything that you want to say about shot placement with elk with a rifle? Most guys are out there hunting with a 30 out 6 or bigger. I, I think some guys might shoot a 270, but – I think everybody nowadays that are hunting hunting elk are going to shoot a thirty out six or a three hundred or even a three thirty eight or something like that. Right. You know? So uh, my my object my object with uh, because it's a firearm is if I if I can I want that golden triangle I want to take mm -hmm. that heart shot I want to look mm -hmm. at the and if if it's an angle. You know, take a look, go to our, um, go to our shop placement. If you, if you have our academy, our base camp, 
it, you, your amount of shots increases with the rifle that are devastating, killing shots. And if it's a morning shot, um, again, that's a little different than an evening shot for me. You know, uh, mm -hmm. unless it's right there at 100 yards and I know I can heart that puppy. And now, again, I don't know any of you guys is out there, your shot proficiency. I hope all of you guys are just aces on that. But yep. I've seen what happens when people get excited. I've seen what happens when you've had mm. to run up a hill and throw that gun up. I've seen what happens when uh, you get a fleeting moment of a shot and you don't get to get set like you wanted to. I've seen, seen all what of happens when Virulak is yeah, yeah, over. yeah. <laughs> when it takes over so you know all of us are rock stars at the shooting range when we're sitting on uh -huh. stuff sure. right but when you get out there and all of a sudden you're you're either having to you know put it on the side of a tree on a log or you're on shooting sticks and that's the other thing you know i have had people shoot on shooting sticks that don't practice on shooting sticks man and, yeah. and it feels yeah. weird you know same mm -hmm. thing we tell our bow hunters man you practice the way you're going to play you know, if if that means that you're out there in front of everybody and you get on your shooting stick, you're not popping those centers. That's all the more reason for you to be shooting off those shooting sticks. Mm -hmm. Screw what everybody thinks. This is all about you and that animal yeah. and effectively and responsibly putting that animal down efficiently. Well, that, so. that hunt that, that Gilbert is talking about, um, I took a shot uh, day one, maybe day two mm -hmm. um, at an elk. Uh, from a from a stick from a shooting stick and uh i never shot from a shooting stick before and and look i i don't think the shooting stick what the was the issue it was my legs shaking like leaves when, when <laughs> I was the about 40 mile an hour crosswind you had too, you know i, yeah. I just I, i'm like look we can do this we we don't have to do this if yeah. this is not something that you feel like you're comfortable, comfortable. with Right you don't now. have to do this. Absolutely. So, and, and huge lesson learned, right? I mean, so, yeah, to, to your point, I mean, practice the way you expect that final shot to take place and make sure, sure that everything, every aspect is taken into consideration. Look, with my daughters, yeah. uh, the way I taught Sophia was in my backyard. I actually put a pop-up line in my mm -hmm. backyard and put a, a little chair and a tripod inside the pop-up blind, and we were shooting into a target, and the target was the silhouette of a hog. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was – I let her shoot even, like, later at night just in case, you know, sure. darker, sure. you know, with a light if sure. we're going to shoot a hog. Right. So that way she is getting the full picture of how it's going to be. She can easily translate, okay, this is what we were doing in the backyard. This is now what I'm doing in the actual hunt. Yeah, so you actually so just, took things, you know, you took from your own experiences and uh, ensured that your daughter didn't have to go through the same thing. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I would tell you the only thing that you could have done there as well is is had mama and sister and uncle and everybody out there and say, watch Sophia shoot from here. Just just to put that little bit of pressure on her. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. 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 Just to do and, that. And you know, we all shoot at camp. Thank God we did this year. Uh, sure. I, I make sure I shoot my bow when I get to camp, especially after that first day. Uh, and if, you know, during the first day of, before the first day of the hunt, we'll make sure we're, we're on, you know, and, and you guys, I can't, I can't stress to y'all enough. I can shoot my guns here in Houston and I can drive five, six hours to my ranch down in South Texas or West Texas. And my gun ain't going to shoot the same. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a gravitational pull from the earth. Uh, but in Ozona, Texas, 
my gun, if I sight my gun in here at Carter's country, if I sight it in here, it'll be five and a half inches low. Where air density is going to vary, you know, a little bit. It's, it doesn't hurt to kind of check it and see, yeah. you know, if, if, if you're where you need to be. So Gilbert's point is, being that, you know, for you guys you going to altitude, yeah. you know, yeah. you had better be zeroing in when you get there, man. Shoot those guns. Mm -hmm. Don't you go, uh, don't go hunt if you ain't shot your gun. Uh, I, I'd skip a half day or a morning, whatever. I mean, it's so important for you guys to have your gun zeroed in the in the elements that you're going to be hunting in. You know, especially, especially Manano with his bow. See, my bow doesn't need that adjustment because mine is a better bow than yeah. than his. Uh, but Manano, he needs a lot of practice at camp. I've never seen sure. him miss an animal, bro. I'm just saying. Uh, I don't know. I have. <laughs> I have, <laughs> I, you know, again, getting back to it. I'm, like I said, my gun will shoot different in Ozona. If I bring my gun back here after I've sighted it in, in Ozona, it'll be three inches high here. So yeah. it's, it's crazy how it affects. Uh, and when you come to the ranch and hunt with us, whether you're hunting hogs, deer or whatever, it's a prerequisite, man. We don't let you go to the field without sighting your gun in. And some guys get a little offended, Joe. They're like, well, my gun's fine. You know, I'm oh, like, that's good. Yeah. You know, I'm doing this for you and for me, too. I want to see how you handle the rifle. I want to see your proficiency with yeah. it. Well, and, not uh, only we, that. Okay, so we like. We value our animals here. Yeah, for me as a guide, it has nothing to yeah. do with how they shoot. I'm trying to get my confidence in my person. I want to know how they <laughs> yeah. shoot, you yeah. know. So, Makes uh, sense. I like it. I mean, I don't take it as an offense. I was like, oh, yeah. You, Be the more times man. I can pull the trigger, well, yeah, man. That's because you're, you're used to always being offended. That's why, man. So, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm never offended, dude. Manano's the one that's always getting offended. <laughs> All right, guys. Let's go to – That's a that was great, man. I thought that was super tonight. That's a super lot of content stuff. for people. So let's go to our Elk Bros mailbox because, uh, Luis, you're up. I hope you're on your A game with this because uh – Uh-oh. We have, um, guys, and we still have a ton of questions in our, in our Elk Bros mailbox, and uh, I'm not sure how much we're going to chop here. We're almost to our time. We'll see what we can do, but we'll continue to chop at these questions every chance we get. We might have to go a little shorter topic next time yeah. so that we can handle that. But first up is Darren White. Um, Kevin Orcutt, you're going to be up after that. Mike Bozarth is going to be up. Jonathan Bruce. Uh, so you guys are kind of waiting in the wings there. And I think after Jonathan, we had Joshua Bonfilio out of uh, Oregon. Um, so um, Darren is, man, Darren, you made Luis's month with this. Darren says he's from Vancouver, Washington. Good podcast. I've like listened to over 1,000 podcasts and I picked up new information from yours. That's saying something because I'm an elk knowledge sponge. Anyway, Thanks for that, but I'm wondering what you think about Ashby data and the philosophy of those who apply those principles like James Nash, basically that every dime you spend on elk hunting from bow to clothes to tents and truck accessories has one primary goal, to put a broadhead through the lungs of an elk. In other words, put your money into quality broadheads and arrow systems that deliver those blades not just to an elk, but through an elk. My personal opinion is that too many people are concerned with getting that arrow to the elk and they want an easy way to do it. That leads to choosing mechanical broadheads and other shortcuts that lead to lost elk, according to the data I've seen. I, it seems that best penetration, that it can be reasonably achieved through the vitals, is number one goal. This includes set up a system 
for when things don't go right due to animal movement or other factors. What are your thoughts? There's a lot in this, but um, oh, podcast. But you mm-hmm. know, I, I tell you. So, Darren, I, I'm just going to tell you, I am not the scientist of this group. Um, I have always believed that putting a good broadhead through uh, with a with a with a with a good arrow has been my goal. I have had the same system for years. I believe in fixed broadheads. I've got a buddy though that um, that he shoots uh, uh, 270 to 280 feet per second with uh, over a 500 grain arrow. He says that he can do it with a uh, with a mechanical that just rips everything up. Myself again. My philosophy is if something can go wrong, it will. So the less things that I have that can go wrong, the better. That's why I would always myself with elk go with a fixed broadhead. And I myself like a heavy broadhead, not because of science, because it's what's worked for me over the over the years. I use a 125 grain. Um, I shoot a, a 30 inch, 30 and a half inch arrow. I shoot about 270 feet per second with a 70-pound bow. Um, so uh, that's about as scientific as I get. But we have the professor in the house. The Venezuelan <laughs> professor. The Venezuelan professor, man. professor. <laughs> so because, Luis, I have no idea who James Nash is, and I don't know about Ashby data. Um, so... Uh, Take it away, Luis. There you yeah. go. No, so Darren, listen, man. Um, I, ever since I started in the, in the bow hunting, I, you know, I love data. I love understanding the physics behind it. And, uh, you know, I started messing with my bow a lot. You know, I, I went to changing my cams and trying to get more, uh, you know, less let off to see if I could gain more speed and more kinetic energy and, you know, based on my bow design, what I could get away with. And then, you know, I just, I got been kind of through the whole thing. And then, but there was always something that I didn't, I didn't get a lot of information on the internet about. And it was like arrows, what kind of arrows um, that you should shoot and, and how does the arrow have an effect on it? So everything that you're mentioning is I recently stumbled upon a gentleman I, I, I worked a bow shop that I usually visit, um, uh, that uh, me and, and, and Gilbert visit, there's a, a tech there. He's an incredible guy. Um, Richard, he, 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 he got me into this, like, hey, man, you got to start looking into this stuff. And there's a bunch of – a guy that backs up all his research with a bunch of data. So I started looking into all of it, and it's just uh, what they call the adult arrow. Right. And it's got to do with a lot of the Ashby data and the philosophy, as you mentioned, is, you know, they're talking about 12 factors that drive the performance of the penetration of an arrow. And uh, it, it, look, it all chives. It all makes sense. Right. I mean, they talk about arrow integrity. They talk about the FOC, the forward center. They talk about the weight of the arrow. They talk about the shape of the broadhead. They talk about the sharpness of the broadhead. And, uh, you know, the transitions of, from the broadhead to the shaft, way cool stuff, right? Okay, so if you're a geek like me, 
then yes, you dig all of this stuff and, and think about it in this terms, right? Gilbert is in the, you could see him in the camera laughing and he's got his, <laughs> his good, his good old uh, full metal jacket with his old broadhead that look, it's a system that has worked for him great in the past. I mean, he can tell you he's killed anything from elks to hogs and anything and deer with it. You know, he's got a great setup that works for him and there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. Um, I use a very similar setup to, to Beto's. The only difference being maybe just the length of the arrow, uh, a little bit of draw length and that's it. And uh, it's, it's worked really good for me too. I cannot say that I have not had success with it, but I, I like looking into things and understanding things. And if I can improve it, I will. Yeah, I want everybody to know that Luis is an incredible engineer. Uh, I've worked with him for many years, and I'm not just saying this to, to have some fodder here. I'm serious business. He's an incredible engineer that understands performance-driven data is, uh, is things that really drive him to understanding uh, the way that he can do work. things more proficiently. And uh, I dig that about him. We give him a lot of hell and give him a lot of hard times because he is kind of geeky about it. But at the end of the day, I'm going to benefit from it because he's going to tell me what the heck the deal is. And he knows I'm going to try it. So uh, we we yeah. love him for that. We love him that he's willing to go and uh, go and, and do the research that we're not. And, and I'm being honest with you. The reason why I don't is because I'm lazy. Uh, straight, straight up, don't want to. I figured out what kills animals and uh, works for you. Yeah, right? it, it works for me. Uh, I have a lot of confidence in it. And the minute I start jacking with that confidence, I got an issue. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I think you felt that a little bit this year uh, using some different setups, you know, mm-hmm. you, your confidence got rattled a little bit. Yes. So, uh, you know, this Try, is trying something that, different. Yeah. Find something Try different something. actually got me out of my comfort zone and it was right before the hunt and I wasn't happy with what I was seeing. I was like, oh crap, I had to kind of revert back to, you know, the same setup that Gilbert and I use and, and that's what got me through the hunt. But then after that, I said, like, no, I got to look deeper into this and figure this out. And look, Manano's the same way. He's like, man, I don't want to be building arrows. I want you to build my arrows and then I'll just go and hunt with you. You know, yeah, that's I'm fine. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's, and, I, I don't, yeah, that's I, all good. And I'm kind of at the thing is that I think sometimes some people think too much. And and I yeah. had the same thing yes. with athletes yeah, that, simple, you know, speaking. yeah, I mean, it, you know, I had when you coach high jumpers or pole vaulters, I mean, they can overthink the smallest things when really all they have to do is jump. You know, uh, yeah. so yeah, at, Indians at, were killing, killing elk with a good, a, a really yeah. good comparison. Flintlock. Uh, a really good comparison to me is like hey look you know you're the rifle hunter that goes out to cabela's or you know walmart and just buys a bunch of you know uh loads that work good with your rifle and just are happy with that and just kind of understand know your rifle really well to understand Mm -hmm. where you know shot placement needs to be and that makes you effective then great yeah i mean you know and gilbert is raising his hand right now are you the guy that wants to be a a a hand loader you know and then you want to load your own ammunition and 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 make it perfect and you want to go to the rifle range and you want to you know find accuracy then this is what this is about right right. you're you're hand loading your arrow I, I go right. back to the thing to thine own self be true, and yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and and that the things 
I mean, there's a lot of reasons that people get interested in different parts of of hunting mm-hmm. and yeah. you know there's certain things that really floats their boat i mean a lot of different you know so i i think that's awesome and and that's what i told yeah. louise I, I was like have fun with it do this you know but yeah. at the mm-hmm. same time always keep perspective on things it's, it's good to know that this is the Absolutely. mechanical part out of it but never take the human because you no matter what you as an individual, are the most important weapon out in those woods. Yeah, and, and your knowledge, yeah, like absolutely. you always say. Absolutely. Yeah. I just, you know, the, the way I am is like, if I'm going to be a bow hunter, I not only want to understand the animal, which is a journey I've been on for the last few years with Joe right. and the team. Right. I want to I wanna know my bow really well, understand it left and right. And look, I'm, I'm working on my own shop here in my back in my, uh, in my garage. I want to start working on my own bow and right. then I want to build my own arrows. I mean, it's Absolutely. just, it's just the way I like to, I like to get into things. Right. So, sure. uh, look, Darren, I, I do believe that there's, there's good science backing all this up and, and it makes sense. And I, I, man, I've gone all the way to drawing charts and measure speeds on and targets at different distances and measure kinetic energy and momentum. And, uh, and, and he should be videotaping that and explaining <laughs> it so we can put it on our YouTube channel. So look yeah. for that in the future, Darren. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> it, it, look, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, right? You can spend up to an hour on, on a single arrow. Okay. Just yeah. to get that one arrow to work perfectly the way you want it to work but it's a cool process and and it's it's i just got to test it i just got to test it um um, a few days ago last weekend and on a hog and i was pretty impressed man i shot through both shoulder blades on a hog and dropped it on the spot i mean Mm -hmm. it just it you know now was it a big hog no uh, but, but it's still a hog and it has that still plate. a hog that's, cool. yes. yeah. and that's, uh, that's I want to I want to continue to try it right I mean so I I don't know much about it yet I have gone through the process I've learned a lot through the process so if you got any questions Darren or anybody uh, feel free to hit me up on Luis at elkbros.com or even you know through my Instagram account, the well, only Luis, hunters. I, 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 I'm not joking about that. I think we have yeah. we do have people out there that would love to see you do an arrow yeah. build. That would love to see some of your tests, and uh, and see it come from the Elk Bros, man. So yeah, no, and I want to get a little more wiser about it before mm-hmm. I even start, you know, putting something well, like that. Together. Even the journey, but, uh, though, man, the journey is part yeah. of it, man. So. Yeah, 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 way cool. No, That's but, the yeah. beauty of it. The journey's the beauty of it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. The nuts and bolts of everything. Uh, like I said, we give Luis a hard time, and, you know, I was holding my arrow and everything, but, you know, <laughs> Luis is an incredible archer. You know, he's he's a really good shot. He's a student of the game. You know, I've been I've been bow hunting since I was, you know, 11 years old. So I have a lot of years of experience, but with some really crappy equipment, man. <laughs> you know, when we were when we were 11 years old, we had old bear white tailed too, man. Thing was hey, like, hey, 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 don't be knocking the bear, bro. Don't be knocking the bear. Hard to pull back, Joe, man. That I'm was the you, beginning of everything right there, you'd be buddy. Shaky right 
your yeah. legs would be and, shaking like a dog trying to crack a peach <laughs> seed, man, trying to get that thing back. It was so hard to draw, man. Well, uh, no, I killed a lot of deer with that rascal, an old Game Getter X-75 and a Rocky Mountain Broadhead. I mean, uh, we, uh, it, we've come a long way since then. Technology's come a long way since then. And what Luis is doing is actually advancing that technology. I mean, if we didn't have technology, we'd all be riding horses still, you know? Yeah. So well, uh, and, I appreciate that about Luis. But, but there's a beauty in riding a horse. And, and you know, For the, sure. Gotta love it. You bet and you. The only thing I tell people out there is always just this, is always you be the one in control of the weapon and not the weapon in control of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't, don't let it play with your head. I mean, know yeah. it, understand it, use the tool, uh, and, and make sure it, it, it works with you because you are the main thing that makes everything. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. And, and one of the things real quick, you know, first of all, uh, a quick kudos to Mr. Uh, Troy who, who calls himself the, the ranch fairy. I mean, that he's the one I kind of, been following in youtube and 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 getting all this stuff from um and he actually i reached out to him on instagram and he kind of gave me some pointers and tips and and helped me through and even responded to some of my emails uh, asking the questions but it's the process of of knock tuning and insert tuning um it's it's so cool that it will actually give you an opportunity to to practice your form because you're going to shoot so many arrows man that uh (laughs) you're you're going to put some practice in building your arrows at the same time so right awesome man joe uh i know we got a whole bunch of other questions that are that are lit up there but we're going to wait till uh next week to get right back on them absolutely Uh, it'll be our 91st podcast uh (laughs) next week so uh, we're creeping up on that 100, guys. Y'all be looking for, you know, the stuff we're going to put out about the 100th podcast. It's going to be really cool. Um, you guys, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, please. and review. You have to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review us, and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. Always, if you, you know, this is a reminder to our listeners, if you'd like your question answered uh, on our show, just send your questions to info at elkbros.com. That's info at elkbros.com. Again, we're growing our YouTube page. You guys go check us out on YouTube. Uh, We'll be uploading some really cool stuff. I know Joe's got a bunch of stuff from our hunt. You know, Luis got a bunch of stuff from his. I, I actually went hunting, bow hunting with my son over the weekend. It was it opened up here in Texas, bow season. It's in full swing, and uh, we got some funny things to show and some cool pig hunting videos and stuff like that. So it'll be something that you guys can go and see on our on our uh, YouTube account. Joe, as always, unbelievable content. Uh, Luis, thank you so much for, again for expanding on the arrow stuff. There's going to be Absolutely. a whole lot more opportunity for that. Uh, you know, we want to thank again all of our listeners out there, and as you know, Big O says, husbands, kiss your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. And hug your babies. Keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Peace, peace. Peace. Peace, everybody. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. 
Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.